being I am a contingent worker, which means I'm not hired on my company. My insurance is it's it's just terrible. I could pay for the highest available insurance that is available to me as a contingent worker, and uh, it just it doesn't even cover the issues that I need to get looked at. Okay. Uh, various kinds of specialists that I, I've canceled all my appointments and I'm like, you know, this, this can't be right. You know, something's amiss right here. This is people who are in the gig economy. It's not just Uber and Lyft and DoorDash. It's people like me who are not a permanent employee. You know, we're working on a contingent basis. It's almost like wage isn't the only way you can be abused. Uh, yes. You said it right there. And I'm, I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. So I was, I, I looked at the, uh, my chances and I was like, Han Solo, I was like, you know what? Uh, don't tell me the odds. I'm just going to do it. Welcome to Activist NNT, a podcast about real world economics, including modern money theory and how life changes when you discover it. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. to Activist NNT candidate interview number six, hosted by Ramona Masachi and co-hosted by me. Today we talk with Ezra Watson, who's running to represent New York's 21st Congressional District. Ezra was inspired to run by the January insurrection at the Capitol building and his own precarious job as a contingent worker in the semiconductor industry. Despite requiring highly specialized skills, He describes his job as comparable to, and precarious as, the gig workers employed by companies such as Uber and DoorDash. Ezra says a primary reason for the precariousness of these jobs is the lack of good healthcare options, which is sometimes prohibitively expensive or not an option at all. Ezra's running in New York's 21st Congressional District, which is enormous. It encompasses the Adirondack Mountains and takes several hours by car to traverse. The district, which is agriculture heavy, has for years voted almost exclusively Republican. Even so, the Democratic primary field is crowded, with a frontrunner who is, not so surprisingly, a former CIA agent. Ezra's the only self-proclaimed Bernie Sanders-style progressive in the race, but the Republican incumbent calls every single Democratic candidate a far-left socialist. This is leveraging nebulous and meaningless fear to give people a boogeyman to run away from while marketing themselves as the only one who can ward these zombie-like boogeymen off. It's a lesser of two evils race to the bottom with no space for positivity or hope. That's where Ezra comes in. The two pillars of his campaign are the Green New Deal and Medicare for All the latter in response to his own difficulties in getting health care. He's currently on a payment plan 
for what should have been a routine visit. Despite being a long shot, Ezra is fighting for people who have been deceived into believing that getting what they need can only hurt them even more. Modern Money Theory, or MMT, illuminates a large part of that deception. Ezra is enthusiastically learning MMT and is determined to leverage it to provide some of that hope and positivity and ultimately desperately needed policy, whether they realize it or not. You can support Ezra's candidacy by visiting watsonforcongress.org and at Ezra Watson for Congress on Facebook and Ezra Watson for NY on Twitter. You'll also find a link to donate to his campaign in the show notes. There are three goals of this MMT candidate interview series. The first is to support and give a platform to candidates who care about all people and because of this are ignored by the so-called news outlets that are in reality news of, by, and for the rich. The second goal is to determine what these candidates need to beat corrupt opponents supported by a corrupt party in a corrupt campaign finance system, and especially once in office, to avoid becoming corrupted themselves. Finally, the third goal is to create a community of like-minded MMT-aware candidates who can support each other through their campaigns and especially once in office. The latter is in order to remain focused on what really matters, which is all their constituents, in an environment where there is overwhelming pressure to focus only on the needs, favors, promises, and especially money of big donors both in and out of their district. If you're a candidate and would like to be interviewed by Ramona, please contact her directly on Twitter at Ramona Masachi or me at activistmmt at gmail.com. If there's a candidate you would like to see interviewed by Ramona, please let us know and please recommend us to them. This candidate interview series is above and beyond Activist MMT's regular episodes. If you like what you hear and would like to support this interview series and this podcast, please consider becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash activist MMT. And now, on to our conversation with candidate for New York's 21st Congressional District, Ezra Watson. Enjoy. I don't know if you guys have met. No. We have never actually officially met. Have it, Ramona yeah. Ezra. Sure. Yeah, this is our first time meeting, so nice to, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well, Ezra. It's so nice to have you here. Well, thanks for having me. So he was telling me that he works in semiconductors. <laughs> he actually, really? Uh, he actually yeah. does microscopic stuff, so, so I look forward to hearing some of that. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, I, I wish it was exciting to me as you're making it out to be, but... <laughs> Well, it it is. I mean, it's an interesting concept. I mean, to to uh, maybe you didn't say this, but to repair semiconductors, uh, repair the processing equipment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like. I mean, it 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 is certainly there's something interesting about that for sure. I mean, whether you know it's a drudgery job for you or not, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, it mostly is. I've been trying to get out of it, but it, it's a very it's a very niche uh, kind of um, skill set. Well, I presume that that's in a way is, is you have a stability, uh, you know, maybe you feel trapped, but at least you're, 
I, yeah. I, mean, I, have, I have no idea, you, a, you, but at least you can you can pay your bills. The plus side is there are it's it is kind of nationwide and it's it's worldwide, so it's there is that. Okay, well that's good. Um, okay, uh, Ramona, can you please do an introduction and then take it away and do what you do? do use what your mama gave you. <laughs> Hello, I'm Ramona Masachi. I'm with activist MMT, Jeff Epstein. Say hello, Jeff. Hello, everybody. Ezra and Ramona, thank you so much for doing this. We are interviewing Ezra Watson today. How are you? Well, I'm doing good, and thanks for having me, and I'm glad to be here. I, I will say, uh, you know, I'm prone to test anxiety. So, <laughs> oh well. Speaking of which, uh, Ramona and I were talking about it. So we're we're going to have ten questions: one on MMT, one on debt to GDP ratio, one on Japan, and one on exchange rate determination. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes. I'll, uh... <laughs> inflation. I forgot inflation. Japan is my favorite one. So, <laughs> you're running in New York Twenty One District Twenty One. Yes. Where is that? Is what part of New York is that? Well, it's a it's a huge chunk of New York because um, it encompasses the Adirondacks. So there's probably so be, because of the low population, it actually covers I would say uh, geographically almost half of that's this, like New York. It's um, Watertown, which is Lake, Lake Erie, and then all the way to the Vermont border, all the way up to Canada, down to uh, parts part of Saratoga, which is which is 30 miles north of Albany, if you can picture, you know, all, all yes, the- Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, I lived in New York for many, yeah, forever, so oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, you can imagine how, how huge of a, an area it is. I drove to Watertown, and it's three and a half hours there, three and a half hours to Plattsburgh, and that's, <laughs> and that's only halfway between here. It's my, my, my dad actually grew up in Watertown. Oh, I visited, wow. I visited there several times. Yeah. Yes. Ezra, how how do you reach your voters? Well, um, I've been reaching them lately through email marketing. Before that was um, call time. I am getting, you know, fed uh, contacts through grassroots analytics. You know, I'm growing, you know, my team of volunteers, so they're helping a bit. Uh, I met another guy in in, uh, in Lake Placid, and he said he's. He might, it might be interesting to, to get him on as, as a volunteer. And I just, I have an interim campaign manager now again. So it has been difficult because um, I have not planned a tour yet. I had a, pl- a tour plan and I had to cancel. It's going to happen after New Year's, after we raise some more. The trials and tribulations of running a campaign that also encompasses the middle of nowhere. I'm That's feeling right, yeah. you. <laughs> so... So what made you decide to run for Congress? Well, you know, um, I will say I'm deeply concerned. Uh, that's one motivator. But it kind of, um, it didn't happen like overnight. Uh, but, you know, I was working in Boston and I just, I, I left just before COVID hit. I was actually, I stayed, I kept my address here. If anyone thinks there's a technicality, it's like, no, I kept my, I, I lived here, but I, I moved to Boston and stayed at Airbnbs while I worked over there as, as on a condensed week of like long hours, like 12 and 14 hours. So I, I moved back and forth, you know, as just as getting into 2020, you know, so I left there and uh, I remember 2020 just, uh, I didn't care for what I was doing. And I was like, well, I was looking around for, uh, you know, I want to get involved more. Uh, cause I felt like 
the issues uh, were becoming more apparent to me. I, I, you know, on a personal level, I suffer from um, bad health insurance. I, you know, I have things that I, I can't even take care of, even though I'm I'm qualified to take care of them in a normal world. You know, I wanted to get into uh, government and uh, be a part of uh, a solution. You know, to to the uh, onslaught of this uh, anti-democratic overall kind of direction uh, the country's heading. So deep concern, as I've always been a climate-focused uh, person, there, there's evidence here where, where I live. And uh, since that's an issue, since since uh, healthcare is an issue, and since, you know, these things, it just, it got me aligned right away with the progressive um, side of things. So after going for a couple of local offices, I just decided, you know what, uh, I've seen people online and they're doing what I want to do, and they're doing it with the same kind of starting point as I am. So I thought, thought it just made sense to just jump into the uh, just, just straight for uh, Congress and not not just try for a local and uh, see what happens. Yeah, uh, I, I we want to follow up on what you said before. You said something to the effect of you couldn't take care of something even though you were in a normal world. I would be qualified to receive medical care for for issues, that, but I am not. A, I'm being. I am a contingent worker. Which means I'm not hired on my company. My insurance is it's it's just terrible. I could pay for the highest available insurance that is available to me as a contingent worker, and uh, it just it doesn't even cover the issues that I need to get looked at. Okay. Uh, various kinds of specialists that I I've canceled all my appointments, and I'm like, you know, this this can't be right. You know, something's amiss right here. This is people who are in the gig economy. It's not just Uber and Lyft and DoorDash. It's people like me who are not a permanent employee. You know, we're working on a contingent basis. It's almost like wage isn't the only way you can be abused. Uh, yes, you said it right there. And I'm I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. So I was I, I looked at the uh, my chances and I was like Han Solo. I was like, you know what? Uh, don't tell me the odds. I'm just going to do it. So maybe this is because, you know, a lot of candidates, they don't win their first run. It's actually very rare for candidates to win their first run. So maybe this is you just like learning the steps so you can win your second run. You know what I mean? Between you and me, yes, I I look at it like that. And my point is, is that, yeah, yeah, sometimes you just have to to do it to learn how to do it and, and inject another choice you know, outside of the, you know, established status quo, like every other uh, Democratic candidate, yeah, they're just running scared. They're afraid to proclaim their true, like their real selves, their their policies. And uh, I can almost foresee what's going to happen. Castelli, he, he was like at a quarter million dollars right out of the gate, like from in the first two weeks. Now, of course, he's getting all of the endorsements. Well, it's obvious he raised the most money, right? People are so conventional in their thinking here, and I think I think what what might happen is is uh, he might win the primaries this time. In fact, I think he will, and then we'll see if he can actually win against Stefanik. And uh, I think there's probably a good chance it's going to be very hard to do that. And when he fails, people are going to be like, you know, realize that just because you raise the most money and have the most endorsements doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win against Stefanik. Okay, so take two. Um, <laughs> Second run, yeah. I'll try to be uh, 
as, as cordial as I can moving forward. So, uh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll handle the rude part. You'd be cordial. Um, <laughs> Are you going to be able to um, be on a stage and debate these other people that are running for, for the same office? That would be exciting for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I have not heard anything put forth uh, or proposed uh, like that. Uh, although I have kind of been in, in contact with Bridie Farrell. Uh, we've had similar experiences with the uh, committee chairs up here. So I feel like a little bit more solidarity. And, I, and it also proves to me that I'm not the only one who got asked by, by one of the committee chairs to um, drop out of the race. So I feel like it gave me a little extra boost of uh, energy. What was their reasoning for dropping out of the race? It's not your time or your... your... Well, the Dems up here are so skittish. Now, they're facing the, the, the huge Stefanik machine, as they call it. And uh, they want to—they they just they picked the guy with who raised the most amount of money. And Matt, and Matt Castelli raised boatloads of money within the first two weeks, a quarter million. Uh-huh. And so, obviously, he looks like the best setup to, you know, plus his history. He's a former CIA. He's been in the government, but in, in both administrations. How great. Former CIA. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. I, I don't know if that is, I don't know if that is one of the, but the fact that he rose, he raised so much money, you know, that they, they look at things this way, the, the Dems up here, and, and they look at very little else. He's been in the uh, Trump as well as um, part of the Biden administration, I think also uh, Obama. And he uh, has been running on, on that as his platform. He, he comes he comes across as a little bit scripted. So all the candidates up here, you know, we're we all first time candidates. That's one thing we have in common. We've all interviewed with the same uh, WAMC podcast. Uh, I, I interviewed with Pat Bradley as well. You know, Petorty did uh, Ian Pickus. I don't know if, you, if these names sound familiar. They're our regional uh, bureau chiefs. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of following the same format in many ways. I differentiate from them as I am the only proclaimed progressive in this race. They have not uh, uh, promoted any advocacy for the main pillars of my campaign and all progressive campaigns, as it should be, Medicare for all and a Green New Deal. Are the are the voters in that district, do they want Medicare for all? Do they understand the climate crisis? Where are they? Yeah, there are, there are pockets of voters that, that absolutely fall into that category. And I've been trying to reach out to them. I get my um, my uh, mailing lists to the people who donated to Bernie Sanders. And without me saying so, I've found it kind of uh, pleasing in a way that, that Pat Bradley uh, described me as being like Bernie Sanders in, in my race. So that- oh, nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that propelled you forward. <laughs> So I, I appreciate that, that that is a sentiment out there because that means I'm messaging correctly. <laughs> That's great. And there's definitely voters in this area who would vote that way. You know, right next to Vermont. I don't know if it has anything to do with anything. But there's, my team is, uh, they're all locals, you know, from Ogdensburg, uh, Champlain, college students. And they're people who who either have or would have worked on um, Bernie Sanders' campaign. And I've been in contact with, you know, the previous candidate here, uh, Patrick Nelson, 
was uh, on the Bernie Sanders campaign. Of course, he was in 2018. Yeah, I've been speaking with him uh, uh, a bit. Um, of course, his advice is is that it's going to, you know, obviously it's going to be a very tough race. Um, all all the former people like him and other people involved in races up here say I have basically no chance. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so, um, I, I, I do you. You don't just accept that assessment of somebody else saying that you don't have a chance. No, I, I've learned very quickly not to, and to trust my own instincts. Um, that's really the main reason I started running because of the uh, a perceptible shift, how things are going to be going forward. I think I think we, like me and Bridie Farrell, agreed. We we need to have. Diversity. We don't agree on things, but that's what makes it interesting, you know, in a primary. You know, I don't understand why they would want to just pick one candidate this far out from the primaries. And uh, what's wrong with just getting on the ballot and letting people uh, decide based on what they know about you? So, so me, me and Bridie Farrow are in agreement. We both expressed our interest to keep, you know, please stay in the race. Don't drop out. So that was a good that was a good uh, motivational boost uh, for me anyway. Uh, I have to grow to, I'm targeting at least 50 volunteers to be, to viably do the footwork that's going to be required, uh, in March, you know, door knocking. This is my first time. So I'm learning. New York NY 21 is a gigantic piece of land. Absolutely. Yeah, you can see it. it actually looks like half of New York on the map. It's it literally it, it, it looks like the size of Vermont. I really <laughs> I really wish bears were allowed to vote. Because all of it is uh, protected wildlife refuge. Yeah, it takes um, like any any place I go to tour is going to be about a three hour drive, maybe more, depending on how windy the roads are, because you do have to traverse the Adirondacks. Now, of course, I do. I make time for this anyway. I love driving up here. It's incredibly scenic, and that's why I chose to live here. It's gorgeous. It's, I've it's been at, there. I've been to the Adirondacks. Oh, um, my daughter went to camp there. Yeah. So it's going to be a pleasure actually driving around. But, you know, it's going to take uh, a time commitment and much more fundraising. I'm, uh, you know, I've been doing email marketing, which has been much more successful than phone baking. But so what is the demographic like? Like, do you guys have farmers? What, what do people yeah. do in New York 12, 21? We, we do have farmers. Um, this is a very um, Republican district. It has voted Republican except for once in recent history. Owens, I think, was a representative. It's, it's got a strong Democratic base in a lot of areas. Like, that's where I'm going to focus first. But the, but the agricultural community here is very diverse in that you have very well-established, we're talking about hundreds of years established, farming communities and families. I personally yeah, know. Yeah, figured. <laughs> yeah. And they've been around for so long. And they're, and they're in a precarious situation. And I, I get that. They, they can't really mess with their business model. And they don't like to be told what to do, period. And in fact, I, I get that because it, season to season, they're walking a tightrope to get uh, these crops out and any variation. And there are a lot of restrictions on what they can and can't do uh, as well. 
But there are another group of farmers that I follow. And in fact, they've started, uh, a lot of them are the regenerative farming. I really try to follow these groups because they're, they, to me, are um, much more forward and positive in their thinking. You know, regenerative farming can combat climate change because they recognize that the cycles here are, they're actually, they're, they're changing. They're measurable. I like the forward thinkingness and, and the positivity that, you know, the out-of-the-box thinking, the, new, the regenerative farming techniques that is sustainable and enhances the soil and, and uh, is, is fully renewable. Um, I think that they're the future. Uh, have any of the, the older farmers um, who've had their families there for generations, have they been dealing with Monsanto bear or, or were they able to stay clear from that? Oh, Monsanto? Yeah. That's a very good question. That might be something I have to look into. Yeah. And I doubt too many people would want to get into Monsanto, but I, I'd have to do some research. And that's a good question. I'm going to follow up on that. Because sometimes they're, they're forced to. Um, yeah, yeah. And so it's, I was wondering if, if they, they, you know, they became, you know, victims of that. Well, that's something I haven't looked into yet, but I am going to moving forward now. Uh, it is a good question. Um, so, so it is alive. The, the, the farmers who support progressive politics is, is alive and well here. They're just small in number. Um, so, so what inspired you to run? What inspired me to run... Um, like January, February timeframe, probably mostly as a result of the uh, insurrection. Mm -hmm. And uh, my my belief system at that time was, you know, I'm I've pretty much perpetually been on a hamster wheel, you know, in a full time job, just trying to stay afloat and getting pretty tired of it. And then you see stuff like that happen. I'm like, you know what? I I, I bet there's a shift coming. And we don't have to accept this rigid way uh, that's a stifling uh, existence that that we've been uh, trudging through. You know, it's just been a, a it's just constantly trying to stay on my hamster wheel without falling off. You know, it's just it's tiring. And I feel like politics is the same way. So at first I was considering a local office, but then uh, after going online and finding others doing running for Congress who uh, have very similar uh, starting points and ideas that I that I did it seemed I actually started out right away uh, getting a call from uh, or a, a text rather from the post star in Glens Falls and uh, this reporter wanted to talk about my campaign and it just turns out there's another uh, individual up here a Republican so right away, made my I filed, made my announcement, got in the paper, and I'm like, okay, well this is off to a good start, and got my got my name mentioned in the uh, in the Hill. That's great. Uh, in an article um, about Stefanik and who's running, it was shortly after Matt Petorti entered the race. So I also got some comments published about you know I got to elaborate more on how I'm, I'm firm on my, like I call them the, the two pillars of my campaign, uh, Medicare for all and Green New Deal, because I'm, I am all about climate action. It's my number one concern. And I would say that's my biggest concern 
when I when I decided to run is that uh, is that we need people in Congress who recognize this threat. And actually, when I first moved up here ten years ago, it was up from Virginia. That at that time, that winter, November of 2012, it was already flooded in New York. They had shut down gas stations. I remember that because I, I remember wondering where I was going to get gas. That was a hurricane. It was the one that flooded um, Brooklyn and, and New York in 2012. But we've also been getting, we've had uh, tornadoes and crazy windstorms. I've had to replace my fence. But it's hard to say experientially what is normal or not since I have lived here for 10 years um, as opposed to my entire life. Um, do, do, you're running against Elise Stefanik? Elise Stefanik, yeah. Whoever wins the primary will be up against Elise Stefanik. And do you like Elise Stefanik? Oh, I've heard she's very personable. I do not like her politics. <laughs> that we can say with what confidence What don't you right like there. about her politics? Well, um, she takes tons of money from uh, L3 Harris, Lockheed Martin. She's voted against uh, what we need up here. She's she's got a uh, a, uh, a spin machine like no other, and that's what your millions can do for you. She her stories are just uh, blame ridden and partisan and uh, Washington. And uh, she calls every, <laughs> I actually think this is hilarious. When I entered the race, she called me a far left socialist. Oh, yay. And, and so I was like, okay, you know, okay. And then Matt Patorti enters the race. She calls him a far left socialist. Oh, really? And, the, and then Bridie Farrell gets into the race. Well, guess what? She's also a far left socialist. Matt Costelli. Well, he's also apparently a far left socialist. I'm like, wait, wait a minute, why are you lumping them in with the, why are we lumping all, us all together? We, <laughs> you know, but she she does not understand working people. Not not, I mean, she's uh, just big money, big corporate funding. Um, just kind of a, a a very real disconnect. No no interest in climate uh, issues. No interest in Medicare. Or, you know. She would vote against all that stuff. She's voted against the infrastructure bill. Oh wow! Things that would actually help people appear. You know, I I often compare. I I think they actually have better broadband in Siberia. <laughs> I would not doubt that. So so, what do you say to them if they're like, yeah, but I don't want my tax dollars to go up, and you know, and federal spending, even if you're spending federally, my tax dollars are going to go up. What do, what do you what do you say to these people? Um, I would say that the art that um, that that's not necessarily true, and in fact, yeah, our our um, our federal taxes don't pay for any federal programs. Our our our, ta- our federal taxes don't pay for anything. And when their mind blows when you say that to them, right? Because that's usually what happens. Um, and, and they're like, "Well, then why am I paying federal taxes?" Well, what do you say to them? We are paying federal taxes because it's required to um, 
to get labor, um, to supply labor for the federal government in the form of its own currency. It's also used to regulate inflation, but it's not used to pay for any any programs. It's it's just deleted. At, it's just they're taxed out of the issued currency. The, the federal government provides labor services in the form of teachers, um, firefighters, civil servants, and and uh, people in government who provide government services for these United States, which which is for the benefit of of the citizens. Beautiful. So. Uh, how can people help you win, and how can people find you? Well, funding is a is a big thing right now. I, I need to get my funds up um, so that I can get over the hurdles of um, of getting the literature out, probably more advertising, and growing a team. So, so the uh, to put the cart before the or the the horse before the cart. I need to get my I need to get uh, donations in. So that when I do go out in uh, January and try to sign people up, I have I have all the literature I need and pay staff. I've got a core team right now in place, and I, I want to keep them happy and and on board for the duration of of this campaign by by offering them an actual salary because they're students and their time is constrained. And but they are very talented, and I want to keep them on board. And uh, I don't have any paid staff right now. So that's, to take it to the next level, that, that's going to be a requirement. Okay. I hope, I hope people really listen to this and donate to you. You sound like an amazing candidate. Yeah, thank you very much. It's gotten farther than I thought it would. Um, but as far as, as far as, uh, I, I need to, I need to get out of the, uh, the habit of trying to equate you know, the programs that I support with the state level taxes that people are always complaining about. If I can differentiate the two in people's minds, you know, like modern monetary theory, you know, I, I've heard of other this working in other districts, other states, candidates have, have said they've had success turning actually conservative uh, voters, flipping them, you know, when they start talking about when they say things like, oh, your, your taxes don't actually pay for anything, uh, it kind of gets them, you know, intrigued. They want to hear more and they, and they feel like they're, uh, they're being told, you know, like a, like a revelationary you know, bit of information. Beautiful. And when you're in Congress, um, will you help promote other um, candidates that have an, are running on an MMT platform? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, and thank you to you, Ramona and Jeff, for bringing uh, this uh, into a, um, you know, a cohesive kind of um, group and strategy involving all of us. I think this was the kind of thing I was actually subconsciously waiting for. But now that it's here, I can latch onto it and definitely, um, like you said, promote other candidates who are, I think this is our, uh, our way forward, our way to break out of the uh, the mold. I, I, like I said at the beginning of, of uh, the interview on my campaign, I just, I just had a, you know, this, this sense that, uh, that we're, we're entering into a time where, you know, we can just, we need to shed the old ways, 
and uh, look forward as far as we have so many tools uh, at our disposal to make the kind of uh, uh, country we want to live in to come to fruition. Absolutely. We have all the tools. We just need members in Congress that understand <laughs> and are able to to um, question and um and investigate for themselves and, and really be able to figure it out. And thank you, Ezra, for being one of those candidates. Uh, thank you very much for this opportunity to express my views. And, and thank you, uh, Ramona, and thanks, Jeff, for, for bringing MMT into, um, into our campaigns. That's Ezra Watson running in New York 21. I am your host, Ramona Masachi. This is the MMT Activist Podcast. All right. That's a wrap. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Um, Thanks. Rectech. You can find Rectech on SoundCloud and Spotify at W-R-E-C-K underscore T-E-C-H. To record Activist MMT, I use the iOS phone app Tape a Call Plus for recording phone calls and Zencaster for internet-based recordings. My post-production workflow starts by editing on the iOS app AnyTune Pro Plus then transferring those timestamps to my Windows desktop. At that point, I crudely process the audio in Audacity and then implement the edits and do all the final processing in the Reaper digital audio workstation. Activist MMT is hosted by Libsyn and the video teasers are created with the online Headliner app. Welcome to Activist MMT candidate interview number six.
hosted by Ramona Masachi and co-hosted by me. Today we talk with Ezra Watson, who's running to represent New York's 21st Congressional District. Ezra was inspired to run by the January insurrection at the Capitol building and his own precarious job as a contingent worker in the semiconductor industry. Despite requiring highly specialized skills, he describes his job as comparable to and precarious as the gig workers employed by companies such as Uber and DoorDash. Ezra says a primary reason for the precariousness of these jobs is the lack of good healthcare options, which is sometimes prohibitively expensive or not an option at all. Ezra's running in New York's 21st Congressional District, which is enormous. It encompasses the Adirondack Mountains and takes several hours by car to traverse. The district, which is agriculture heavy, has for years voted almost exclusively Republican. Even so, the Democratic primary field is crowded, with a frontrunner who is, not so surprisingly, a former CIA agent. Ezra's the only self-proclaimed Bernie Sanders-style progressive in the race, but the Republican incumbent calls every single Democratic candidate a far-left socialist. This is leveraging nebulous and meaningless fear to give people a boogeyman to run away from while marketing themselves as the only one who can ward these zombie-like boogeymen off. It's a lesser of two evils race to the bottom with no space for positivity or hope. That's where Ezra comes in. The two pillars of his campaign are the Green New Deal and Medicare for All, the latter in response to his own difficulties in getting health care. He's currently on a payment plan for what should have been a routine visit. Despite being a long shot, Ezra is fighting for people who have been deceived into believing that getting what they need can only hurt them even more. Modern Money Theory, or MMT, illuminates a large part of that deception. Ezra is enthusiastically learning MMT and is determined to leverage it to provide some of that hope and positivity and ultimately desperately needed policy, whether they realize it or not. You can support Ezra's candidacy by visiting watsonforcongress.org and at Ezra Watson for Congress on Facebook and Ezra Watson for NY on Twitter. You'll also find a link to donate to his campaign in the show notes. There are three goals of this MMT candidate interview series. The first is to support and give a platform to candidates who care about all people, and because of this, are ignored by the so-called news outlets that are, in reality, news of, by, and for the rich. The second goal is to determine what these candidates need to beat corrupt opponents supported by a corrupt party in a corrupt campaign finance system, and especially once in office, to avoid becoming corrupted themselves. Finally, the third goal is to create a community of like-minded MMT-aware candidates who can support each other through their campaigns and especially once in office. The latter is in order to remain focused on what really matters, which is all their constituents, in an environment where there is overwhelming pressure to focus only on the needs, favors, promises, and especially money of big donors, both in and out of their district. If you're a candidate and would like to be interviewed by Ramona, please contact her directly on Twitter at Ramona Masachi or me at activistmmt at gmail.com. 
If there's a candidate you would like to see interviewed by Ramona, please let us know and please recommend us to them. This candidate interview series is above and beyond Activist MMT's regular episodes. If you like what you hear and would like to support this interview series and this podcast, please consider becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash activistmmt. And now, on to our conversation with candidate for New York's 21st Congressional District, Ezra Watson. Enjoy. Enjoy. 